Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. I'm your host, Jacob Robery, and as always, I hope everyone is having a great start to the work week. As we are now December 7th, uh, we are Monday, the day after the first split of duck season here in Louisiana. And I hope everybody had a good start to the duck season this year in the first split. Whether you're in the coastal, the western, or the east zone, we are now all closed and I want to give you my takes and recap kind of how we ended our first split here, um, you know, around South Louisiana and kind of compare it to what you guys are seeing out in the field. Um, there's a lot of chatter, a lot of talk about how everybody's season's been going. I've talked to a lot of people at the boat ramps. Uh, we've been all across the state for the first split. Many of you who tune into the show know that. Um, it's been a very busy first split for us personally. Um, you know, me and Jackson and uh, and my other buddy, Troy Fontenot, who has been on the show on previous episodes, we do a lot of hunting together, me and Troy. We've been childhood friends for a, quite a long time. And, uh, you know, me and him tend to hunt a lot together during the first split. And now with Jackson coming into the picture, we had a lot of time to hunt first split, which I feel grateful and very blessed for. Um, I'm sure many of you had the children, you know, through the Thanksgiving holiday uh, able to hunt with you and that's always a good thing in my opinion exposing some some younger generations to the sport um, but yeah guys if you've been following us on previous episodes we have a uh, we've talked about a lot of up you know reports and giving you some updates as far as hunts that we made in the first split here in the east zone we predominantly hunt the east zone as many of you who follow the show know you'll hear us talk about um, I only made one hunt early in the season um, that was in the coastal zone, and that was a very successful hunt that we had uh, with my good friend Charlie Paraloo down in the Biloxi Marsh. Um, things have changed quite a bit, even in those areas. Um, you know, I've been staying in contact with Charlie, talking to him, but uh, I'm really interested to know what, you know, I talk to a lot of people, but those of you who listen to the show and tune in and follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, um, and all our social media platforms, I, I hear from you guys a lot of times, and I've, I've, I've heard a lot of mixed reports coming from the first split. Um, you know, what did the first split provide for us here in Louisiana? Is it a better season that we saw last year or the previous years before? Um, or, or is it not? You know, you hear a lot of mixed reports out there right now of, uh, you know, how the first split went. And that, that really is nothing different than you see year to year. Um, it's different in different areas, and you know a lot of people experience different uh, scenarios as far as the, the season goes along. But I have to admit, you know, for us, we did a lot of hunting when the East Zone opened up. Um, I had the entire week off, as many of you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes. I, I had vacation at that time. Jackson was off of school at that time. We did a lot of traveling. Um, up to, to Marksville, Louisiana, we hunted Spring Bayou Wildlife Management Area. Um, we did some hunting over at Sherburn, um, which is where our camp is located in the Atchafalaya Basin. Um, and I'll give you some I'll give you some takes on that as far as Sherburn, what kind of conditions it's in. Um, and then we actually rounded out the split yesterday um, in an area we we went back to the marsh and we we me and Jackson when I say we. Um, made a trip out to Manchac Wildlife Management Area right around uh, Rudock and Laplace, Louisiana. So 
Um, just to kind of give you guys a little a little backspill on Manchac, Louisiana, that is a WMA that me and Jackson hunt here. Um, not too far from the house. We hunt it several times a year. Um, you know, from Gonzales, Louisiana, where we live here, it's a, it's about a 45-minute to an hour drive uh, toward New Orleans, and you get off on I-55 headed toward Hammond, Louisiana. And those of you who have ever uh, been in that area and maybe eaten at the uh, the famous Middorf restaurant, um, there's the public launch for Manchac Wildlife Management Area is just down the road from where uh, Middorf is located. Um, if you haven't been to Middendorf, I highly suggest it. It's a, it's a very good and well-known seafood restaurant right there in, uh, in, um, off of I-55, right around past Rudock, headed toward Hammond. And it's a, it's a very good atmosphere, beautiful views, located right there between Lake Maripaw and Lake Pontchartrain in what they call the Manchac Pass. Um, and guys, Manchac and Joyce WMA are actually two WMAs that, that butt up right next to each other. And although I haven't done a whole lot of waterfowl hunting in Joyce management area, I have done quite a bit of waterfowl hunting over the years, ever since, you know, back to my college days, going to LSU. Um, I, I, I frequented the uh, Manchac Wildlife Management Area and hunted an area that me and Jackson hunted yesterday, which if those of you who are familiar with Manchac, you're going to be familiar with the area termed as the prairie. Um, and what the prairie is, is... You know, it, it's an area that basically, many, many decades and years ago, um, that area that is located, like I mentioned, right between Lake Maripaul and Lake Pontchartrain is where the prairie is located at. And it's it's basically, it's a freshwater marsh. Uh, before you get into Lake Pontchartrain, where you do have brackish and saltwater intrusion, um, the prairie is a little area, it's a little marsh area that's protected and uh, protected by, um, you know, some man-made barriers that keeps the salt water out of it. And it, year after year, produces and is a favorite place for waterfowl migrating down, uh, down south here to Louisiana. And for many years, you know, uh, the waterfowl hunting was, was really, really good in Manchac. Um, you hear a lot of the same stories that you hear with a lot of other places that are public land here in Louisiana. Oh, back in the day, you know, it was it was phenomenal hunting. We used to kill limits of birds and, you know, and, and not anymore. The birds seem to have left. Well, I can tell you that I wasn't here in those earlier generations. I didn't live in this area. Um, you know, many of you know I grew up in the rice fields, uh, you know, hunting some reservoirs and oxbows in the uh, central part of the state for the most part. Uh, we had a camp up at Dewey Wheels for many years. We hunted Saline and Larto and Catahoula, all those areas. So... You know, coming down to South Louisiana, when I moved down here and I started hunting and venturing out, um, Manchac Wildlife Management Area was something that appealed to me. Um, like I mentioned, it wasn't very far from home, only about 45 minutes to an hour away from the house here in Gonzales. And um, it's a great place to take kids. So when my, when Jackson started getting of age where he could come with me for waterfowl hunting, um, it was a place that we could go. And, uh, you know, not have to, you know, pack and camp out and do all that type of stuff. And, you know, we could go make a hunt and then come back home. So it was really a, an appealing area. Um, and over the years, it's really done me well personally. Um, it's a place that I could go every year and I could I could guarantee that I'm going to kill something in the prairie area of, uh, of you know, Manchac Wildlife Management Area. 
Um, now, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of chatter out there that, oh, you know, the hunting isn't good. Oh, there's so many people that, that, that you know, hit the wildlife management area that it's overcrowded. You have to deal with a lot of, you know, a lot of yahoos and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, I never really had to deal with that and experience that too much. Um, up until yesterday, I'll say that for the most part, because my job, you know, working at retail, when I started hunting the prairie, I was working at Cabela's at the time I was working retail and, uh, I had a lot of time off during the week, which was great during waterfowl season because I didn't have to fight all the pressure of the weekend, you know, weekend warriors and so on and so forth. I could go out there, um, just might see a handful of hunters, um, which many times I went out to the prairie it was maybe me and one or two other boats. Um, so that was always nice. And, and to be honest with you, I think a lot of that had a, uh, played into the success that I had out in the area. Uh, because I always seemed to be able to put nice straps together of birds. And honestly, it's it's a wide array of species of birds that, that tend to go there. Um, it seems like it changes every year. Um, you know, when I first started hunting it, it was, it was a place that we would go and I could kill mallards. I could kill pintail. Um, it was always a real good place for teal. Um, you know, the prairie itself, like I mentioned, is boarded off from Lake Pontchartrain. It sits right between Pontchartrain and Lake Maurepas. Um, so you have a freshwater estuary, or, you know, estuary, and you have a Lake Pontchartrain, which is brackish and saltwater. Um, the prairie being a freshwater marsh, it, it, it is able to house... Um, quite a bit of birds that migrate down because of the vegetation that grows in it. Um, it's a it's a shallow water marsh. I mean, when I when we hunted it yesterday, um, you know, we threw our Texas rig decoys, and we were able to uh, walk out in the marsh itself, um, and you weren't even you know maybe but knee deep. So it's a uh, it's a very shallow marsh, a lot of vegetation, and when I say vegetation, it's good vegetation. You have your duck potato grass, you have your hydrilla. Um, it, it's just appealing to a lot of different bird species, which is what makes it very versatile, in my opinion. Uh, you know, over the last couple of years, it, it's been a wintering ground for bluebills, um, a lot of scalp. Uh, so you do get a lot of divers that, that'll frequent that area during the wintertime. Um, I can't tell you how many bluebills we saw over the last several years. We were able to put some, some straps of, you know, divers together um, in the prairie area on the trips that I made. But it's not only a diver a diver um, area that we frequent because if you're not into diver hunting and you don't like divers because you think they, they taste bad or whatever, you don't like to eat them, they're not good table fare. Uh, but it's not an area that's just going to have divers. You, like I mentioned, mallards, pintail, teal. Uh, last year on a trip I made with my buddy Bryce Hill, um, um, we killed some widgeon that we shot up in there. So... You will get a, a very, very mixed bag of birds by, you know, making a trip and hunting Manchac WMA. So, me and Jackson were trying to decide where we wanted to go to close out the season. Uh, or not close out the season, but close out the first split. And, you know, I had to go back to work after vacation, so I had to work all week. It was killing me. I wasn't able to get in the blind this week uh, to give you guys a report and uh, for us to do some hunting because I went back to work. Jackson went back to school. And, uh, and life, you know, just normal life resume after vacation, like many of you are, are, are familiar with. So the only opportunity we had, I had to work Saturday, wasn't able to make a hunt on Saturday. Um, and the only opportunity I had was to hunt yesterday, which was Sunday, the last day of the split. 
So I, I told Jackson, I said, hey, I said, where do you want to go? He said, hey, let's make a trip back to Sherbin. Let's go hunt some timber. Well, the thing is with Sherbin, if you've listened to the previous episodes lately, is a Sherbin management area has an either-sex weekend um, that was Thanksgiving weekend like many of the other um, you know wildlife management areas throughout Louisiana. So waterfowl hunting is not permitted during that time. Um, but the other thing is starting on the 4th through the 13th, of December, it is closed to waterfowl hunting. Um, you know, so deer hunters can hunt, uh, have those days to hunt. And I've mentioned before, I think it's a, you know, I think it's it's a good thing for the for the deer hunters. Definitely, uh, I know a lot of those guys were, were having a hard time with the either sex weekend. Not as many deer were killed uh, over the last week or two as they were hoping to see. And, uh, and th- there's a big concern there with a lot of the, the gentlemen and the hunters who frequent Sherburn management area for deer hunting. Um, but the thing about it is, is when it closes the 4th through the 13th for deer hunting, they do not allow waterfowl hunting at all. So if you look at the either sex weekend for Thanksgiving weekend, and then you fast forward to the 4th through the 13th, well, pretty much we lose all the first split as a waterfowl hunter at Sherburn management area. So when Jackson said that, I told him, I said, we won't be able to hunt Sherbin because it's going to be closed to deer hunting. Um, and some of that trickles over into the split, which is a good thing. It gives the deer hunters some, some extra days to be able to hunt without the pressure of waterfowl hunters in the reserve. But at that point, you know, with us having a camp there and losing all of that first split, we are forced to go outside and look at other areas to hunt. And those of you who follow us on a regular basis know that we are 99.9% uh, public land hunters like many of you are so that that leads us to look for other areas to hunt which we hunt all over the state you already know that if you follow us um, but Manchac is an area that when that weekend or that that area of uh, those dates where the waterfowl hunting is not permitted I tend to go there every year I either hunt there or I'll make a trip out to Indian Bayou in Henderson sometimes but uh, I told Jackson, I said, we need to make a trip over to Manchac and, uh, and hunt the marsh. Because, you know, rewind a few weeks ago, whenever I was able to hunt with Charlie in the uh, the Biloxi marsh, um, quite a bit of gray ducks we killed. We had a two-man limit of gray ducks that we put together, and a lot of model ducks were, were there at the time. So I said, hey, you know, we have a front blowing through on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be good temperatures. Uh, we were down in the in the 40s yesterday, which is really pretty cool for that area uh, around that Rudock in the Manchac area. So, because uh, the temperatures around those two reservoirs tends to keep temperatures up usually. Uh, so when you get a good cold day, it, it's it's usually pretty good. It's it's usually on fire. Uh, now what I do find is even better and makes Manchac even better as a management area uh, for the waterfowl hunting is on a rough, nasty, windy day. Um, whenever you get those high winds picking up on Lake Pontchartrain, a lot of those birds tend to raft up in Lake Pontchartrain, believe it or not. They'll go there because they don't get any kind of pressure. They don't have the hunting pressure on them. Um, there's not a lot of boat pressure at that time of year. Um, you know, you don't have too many commercial fishermen out there running traps and all that stuff at this time of year. So those birds are able to land in Lake Maripaw itself or in Lake Pontchartrain, raft up and kind of loathe and rest and do what they got to do on the way on their way to wherever they're headed to to migrate uh, so what makes the prairie good usually typically 
is on a on a nasty high wind day where the winds are picking up, it's pumping. Um, it'll get those birds off of Lake Pontchartrain and off of Lake Maripaw, and it'll bring them into the freshwater marsh where the prairie is located at. Um, now, yesterday when I looked at the forecast, the temperatures were in our favor, but Old Mother Nature threw us a curveball because there wasn't very much wind whatsoever. Uh, those of you who hunted yesterday, you, you could probably relate to it. There just wasn't a whole lot of wind. Uh, so that was something that I knew would be a little bit of an issue, but, you know, not hunting the, the area this year yet. Um, we usually tend to get it's a it's a lot of open water. Usually tend to get a little bit of wind uh, enough to move the decoys around and keep them moving. Uh, now that wasn't the case when we got there yesterday morning. We showed up. Uh, we went into an area of the prairie that is uh, accessible by mud motors. Uh, well, you know, on my boat I have a 35 long tail go devil on my boat, and the stipulations with the prairie. One of the rules and regulations that they have is that basically they have a, a dividing line that runs through the uh, the prairie itself. And on one side of the line, they have a certain amount of acres that are dedicated to be able to hunt with a mud motor. If you are on the left side of that line, so to say, uh, then it is not accessible with a mud motor or a boat um, that has power such as an outboard. So if you're on the left-hand side, um, you typically have to, you know, either A, push pole in, paddle in. I saw a guy yesterday, he was kayaking. He had a canoe or a kayak that he went in with, which back in the day, um, that's, that's how it was accessed before all the mud motors and stuff like that came into play. Well, what was the issue over the years is that they felt that the birds would not get a rest because when mud motors came along, guys would jump up some of those rafting birds in the prairie that would set out in the middle and they would jump them up and they were getting shot at. They never had an opportunity to rest. So Wildlife and Fisheries passed a rule um, several years back that you know created that dividing line throughout the, the, the premises itself to where a certain portion of it was not accessible with a power motor um, such as a mud motor or an outboard. Um, now, over the years, you still see guys that'll run into it. Uh, they'll run into it because, to be honest with you, the majority of the prairie itself, acreage-wise, is um, you know not not uh, able to access it with a, a motor. Um, they leave a very small portion of it for hunters to hunt that have mud motors and outboards. The issue is is that it's such a small portion that you get guys with mud motors nowadays. A lot of guys have mud motors. A lot of guys you know, have outboards. They're not really going to be kayaking or push pulling in uh, to an area because it's quite a bit of a, of a stretch to be able to get back to where the prairie is located from the boat launch. Uh, so um, it, it, it creates a lot of hunter pressure, I guess you could say, on the on the side that's accessible with the, uh, with the outboard or with the mud motor. And that was the case yesterday. So me and Jackson got there uh, about 30 minutes before we are able to enter the WMA. We launched at Manchac uh, boat launch, and we went ahead and we idled out to uh, to the entrance of the wildlife management area. Um, and for those of you who are familiar with that area, you bypass the uh, the wildlife and fisheries little section. They have a little a little camp there where they have a check in station, and you could they could also uh, do checks there. There's also a biological center located at the entrance of it, which is uh, where they do a lot of research and studies. Uh, they do some banding um, programs I know of. And it's all, it's all provided by Wildlife and Fisheries and uh, I think Southeastern University in Hammond. 
um, has something to do with the uh, with the research center. So it's a good thing. It's a great thing for waterfowl, uh, just wildlife in general. And the, the canal that you have to access to get into the prairie is what they call the Galva Canal. And what, what the Galva Canal is, it's basically, it's an old logging canal that they dug many, many generations ago uh, whenever they were logging the Manchac Swamp. Um, it, was a, it was a cypress tree, uh, Tupelo Swamp, and years ago they, they went in there and they logged it, and that's what created the marsh that you have today um, that you see in there. So the Galva Canal is the, is the one way um, when you enter through the, uh, the management area to get to the area that we hunted, the prairie. Um, and when we got in yesterday to the prairie itself where it opened up to the march, we were actually the second boat that was in there. So we kind of had an idea. I have some blinds marked on my ONX app that I use. You guys hear us talk about ONX all the time, how much we rely on it. Um, and that, that's the case. We, we jumped you know, on ONX the night before, and I kind of saw where I had some blinds I hunted the year before. Um, and I wanted to have an idea when I pulled up in the dark of where I was going um, and try to hunt one of those blinds on the side that was uh, accessible with a mud motor. So that's what we did. We got in there. We pulled into an area, and we went to a certain uh, area where we've had a blind at before. Now, granted, I have a boat blind on my boat, um, so setting up for me is not, not really an issue. Um, a lot of times in the prairie, um, you have a lot of cut grass that surrounds the banks, a lot of cane like you would see maybe in Venice. Uh, Louisiana if you're familiar with that and uh but what I like to do is I like to stay off of the banks because I find that in the past I've had a lot more success staying off of the banks those birds um especially like your divers like your bluebills and your redheads and you know your scalp all that type of stuff you'll get a lot of those birds that are wrapped up in the open water areas and then all your other ducks such as your gray ducks your, your mallards your pintail your teal all the other the puddle ducks They'll, they'll see those big, you know, groups of birds rafted out, and you know how that is. They'll go directly for those. Um, also, a lot of coots tend to frequent the, the area because of all the, the grass that's available in there. So, coots have been a real a real confidence bird that I've used in the prairie uh, over the years. I actually went out probably seven, eight years ago. I went out and I bought coot decoys dedicated to when I hunt that area. Um, I had some, some confidence birds and I can't tell you guys how well that has worked out. Um, I've, I've had many, many birds that I've killed in the prairie area, uh, over the years that have decoyed directly to those, uh, those coot decoys that I, I've had, um, put out. And that's really something that I throw in the boat. I make sure I have them. Um, as a matter of fact, today I strung up, I strung up some more coot decoys, uh, just so the second split when we kick off and I make a trip out there, I have some more uh, decoys to add to make a bigger coot spread for me. Uh, but that if you don't, if you've ever doubted, you know if coot decoys work or something as simple as just taking some two, you know one liter or two liter uh, Coke bottles that you buy at the store, paint them black, throw some string and a weight on them, and guys they work just as well. That's that's what I actually started out with when I started kind of uh integrating coot decoys into my spread when i was hunting the prairie and uh, i used to use them also when i hunted dewey wheels up around saline lake because a lot of coot population was up there and, and i found that they always decoyed well to those coot decoys well up there at, at dewey wheels that's what those guys do they use coke bottles paint them black and they put them out in their decoys and they'll use them not only for coot decoys they'll just use them as mallard decoys or whatever you know decoys 
that they want to represent, they'll use uh, Coke bottles. And that's what they, uh, you'll see a blonde out over there and it's just nothing but Coke bottles floating around it. And I used to look at that when I was a lot younger and say, kind of laugh at it and say, man, what the hell are they doing? But after years of hunting around those type of decoys and seeing the birds come in and lock up and decoy just like they do with the high dollar decoys you and I buy, trust me, it works. I promise you it works. Now, today i got a better job, you know, nowadays, make a little bit of money. Um, you know, so I try to buy nicer stuff, especially when you waterfowl hunt public land like we do and as much as we do. Um, you know, like many of you, you want to you put some of that money into the sport and, uh, and have some nice equipment. So I actually go out and I bought coup decoys several years ago. But, uh, but yeah, we got, up, we got up in there yesterday into the prairie area. We were, like I mentioned, we were the second boat in, and we went ahead and we set up uh, in the oh, wide open and kind of in the middle. There was actually a brush blind that somebody had built and put together. So uh, we got in there. I kind of, you know, secured that blind when I saw it. I went up to it. It had some brush on it, which uh, you could tell was built probably at the opener of the split uh, because some of the brush was starting to kind of deteriorate and fade out, you know, colors. Uh, so the good thing is I had actually brought some brush with me. Me and Jackson went this week. We cut some palmettas. We cut some oak limbs and stuff like that down. Um, during second split, I really like to, to get a fresh batch of brush. Um, and I usually cut it right before the second split. Um, so it has time to kind of die off and have that natural look with everything else in our surroundings. So I've used, I use that cover on my boat blind, even though my boat blind is netted and I have moss and, you know, natural vegetation on it. I always cut some extra, uh, brush to be able to use, uh, for the second split. Because second split is where the concealment really becomes important, in my opinion. But an area like we were hunting yesterday in the prairie where we're in wide open, I, I was able to pull up in that brush blind. And like I mentioned, even though it was an older blind that had been there for a few weeks, um, I had some brush with me and I was able to kind of, you know, fill, fill it in and kind of brush it up and uh, camouflage ourselves real well. So we had a really good setup. Um, we had a lot of hunters yesterday that came out. And, and hunted. I don't know if it's just because it was the last day of the season or last day to split, or if it was uh it's been that way in the, in the area in Manchac. But uh, you know it was a weekend also, and like I mentioned, I used to hunt it during the week a lot, which makes a huge difference as far as the amount of hunters. Uh, but God, there was some people that rolled in, and, and like I mentioned, we talked about this on a episode a few weeks ago with uh with our buddy David Lemoyne and Troy Fontenot. Just about etiquette and hunter etiquette, and, and my God, man! Yesterday they had they had a guy that set up probably I don't know a, maybe maybe 150 to 200 yards away from me, um, not very far. I could see his decoys clear, you know, clear as day, and and uh, and this guy he had to it was it was a couple of guys actually, and he had to be a, a new waterfowl hunter, I'm assuming, but it seemed like Jackson. Even Jackson was laughing because he, he being an 11-year-old and hunting, you know, for, with us for several years, he now picks up on, on hey, you know, this is funny. Gosh, shouldn't do this or, hey, that's just not right to do or whatever. And even he said something yesterday. But this, this guy, from the minute that their motor shut off, it was nonstop blowing a duck call and, and talking out loud. And you could hear him banging on the boat and this and that. And just, just typical nightmare public waterfowl hunter that everybody talks about that you always hear stories about but you know what being on public land i felt confident we had a good setup i said i'm not moving i'm not about to move after i put out all the decoys 
uh, we were brushed up real well. And I said, if anything, he'll he'll scare some birds off, and they'll they'll probably see our decoys right here in the in the middle in the open water. And, and you know what? Uh, we we might get some birds that come in and uh, help us out with the noise that they're making. So, uh, so we stuck where we were. We felt confident. Uh, before daylight, you could hear the wood ducks, which is it's not an area where you tend to get a lot of wood ducks. Once again, we're in a marsh. We're stuck right off of Lake Pontchartrain. Not a whole lot of tree lines uh, around there, but they do have one tree line behind the borders of the prairie. And I'm assuming that's where those wood ducks were coming from yesterday, unless it was possibly some migrating wood ducks. But uh, but we had a, we could hear some wood ducks, a couple of big groups of wood ducks moving and very vocal before uh, before it got daylight. So that was that was good to hear. And I was uh, I was assuming that we were gonna uh, you know do really well at daylight. Um, typically there at the prairie, you know, it's one of those areas. It's a good place for a kid because a lot of times, you know, with being in open water and that sun coming up over Lake Pontchartrain, you can start seeing a little bit early. Um, the birds are able to see decoys before shooting time a lot of times. And oftentimes you will end up with a couple of birds in your spread uh, right at daybreak or right before shooting time. So I told Jackson, I said, hey, get ready. I said, because, uh, you know, it's a good chance. It's a good opportunity for you to pop, you know, something off of the water and water swat something right at shooting time. And uh, and uh, got kind of just, you know, alert him to get him ready. But uh, once once it started going, we heard a couple of shots. Uh, <clears throat> didn't see a whole lot flying, to be honest with you, right at daylight. Uh, it was probably about 20 to 25 minutes after daylight, and Jackson, uh, Jackson stood up uh, on the edge of the boat to try to pick up something um, that he had dropped. And when he stood up, he, we had a group of, uh, I think it was like six, what looked like scalp, maybe some, uh, you know, doe grease, scalp, uh, something like that, a diver duck. They basically were coming straight for the decoys on his side, and they kind of, when he stood up, they I caught my corner of my eye, and I looked, and they flared when he stood up, and they kind of swooped up off the decoys and went a little bit further down and landed uh, outside the decoys in the middle in some open water um, where we were outside of shooting distance. So that was uh, something that he was like, damn, Dad, I kind of messed up that opportunity. I'm sorry, but, you know, hey, it happens. It's a learning experience. We all have done it, and we all continue to do it every year. So we had that group that was sitting out there and not probably five minutes later, another group, I looked to the left and they had a group of uh, three or four birds that I could tell coming at us. Uh, I, I gave them a couple of quacks on the call and they, they kind of banked out in the front of us. They made a big wide circle and they came in from our right to our left and they swooped on into the decoys. Well, what it was was three of them. And two went straight to the left side. I let those pass so Jackson could shoot. And I took the one on the end. Ben's, I was on the right-hand side of the uh, of the blind. Um, so when they came in, we pulled up. I shot. Uh, I dropped the one that was on my side. Jackson shot three times, unloaded his chamber. And, uh, and the two that he had got away. I tried to help him finish them, but they went left on his side. I, I didn't, didn't want to shoot over him. Uh, so we ended up knocking down one out of the three on that one. And... Jackson gets real disappointed with it, but uh, you know, guys, he's 11 years old. He's he's learning how to shoot on the wing. Hell, how oftentimes do we miss? I, t I try to tell him. I say, hey, Daddy misses all the time. You know, Mr. Troy misses all the time. Uh, you know, it's just it's normal. It's gonna happen. And he, he's he's now. We kind of the point we joke about it because the last couple of trips we could have had a few more birds um, if he would have been able to shoot. You know, 
and knock a couple of those down. Uh, he's even had a couple on the water lately that he's put pellets all around and uh, <clears throat> and they they get out of there miraculously somehow. So so yeah, he's 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 fed up with it. He's uh, he gets down on himself about it, but. Like I told him, he's learned so much this first split uh, and matured so much as a hunter. It's it's unbelievable to see his his uh, his transition from what he was to what he is now as a hunter. He's learning a lot. He knows what birds look like when they're flying. He can tell different species now by the way they fly, and and it's just stuff that comes to you with experience, like many of you uh, you know are already aware. So. We had our missed opportunity there to get a couple of more birds, but we were able to at least knock down one, get get the strap started. And then after that, it just seems like it locked up. There was some shooting in the back, uh, closer on the uh, side where it was, uh, you know, not accessible with the mud motor. There was a couple of guys that ran in there yesterday, uh, did some hunting back in there, and we could hear them shooting. They were butted up, it seemed like, to Lake Pontchartrain. Uh, but there was no winds whatsoever to get those birds up, like I mentioned earlier. Um, the wind was, was you know, very light and gentle like it has been much of the split. Sitting out here, you know, at my home today recording a podcast, which you guys, you know, prime example is the day after uh, the split. I'm looking at a good steady breeze blowing, sunshine. Uh, just it would be a good day to be out there, you know, quite honestly. Uh, it would be a good day probably in the marsh today for sure. But it couldn't duplicate that win yesterday when the season was open. That's how Mother Nature's kind of done us this year, it seems like, for the first split. But that's that's what we get, and that's what we have to deal with, and we, we move on from it. But, uh, but yeah, uh, fast forward, we, we, uh, we touched base yesterday. We were in the blonde. We touched base with our buddy Troy Fontenot. Many of you who listen to the show, you're familiar with Troy. Uh, he's been on our, a couple of our episodes this season. And uh, gave them, gave him a call. They were actually hunting Red River or Yancey, Richard K. Yancey. Um, and he he told me when he told, uh, he answered the phone. He said it sucks. He said uh, he said we're not seeing nothing flying hardly. We have one mallard drake that came in. We popped it, got it on the strap, and that's it so far. And turns out that's what they ended up with for the day. Uh, now they had hunted Richard K. Yancey on Saturday, and they went wood duck hunt Saturday. They had did a dedicated wood duck hunt Saturday. Uh, because they had been uh, scouting and stumbled upon some big groups of wood ducks. Uh, so they were going to try to do a wood duck hunt. And Saturday, they, they reported to me that there was a lot of movement with birds. It seems like Saturday was good just all around with wildlife. Uh, I know a lot of big deer were killed Saturday. A lot of deer in general were killed Saturday. Um, there were some really good waterfowl reports from across the state. It seems like uh, Saturday was a really good day for uh, hunting to be out there. And he told me, he said, I wish we would have had decoys to uh, to hunt, you know, because there was a lot of big ducks. He said, gadwall, mallards, uh, just on the move, just a lot of birds flying, a lot of shooting going on. Um, they ended up wood duck hunting, and I think they killed a limit of uh, wood ducks uh, like they had, you know, wanted to do. And But he said he wished they would have had um, a whole set of decoys to be able to hunt big ducks as well. So, um, you know, Sunday, it, it wasn't as good for them. Uh, they ended up with one mallard drake yesterday. And uh, he asked me, he said, what do y'all have? And we were talking as we were in the blind. And I told him, I said, we have one uh, right now. We had a group come in. I said, and we shot, we got one out of the group. And literally, while I'm on the phone with him, I see a, a, a single flying low to the water and kind of coming toward the blind, what looked like it was coming towards our blind. So I, I, put, I hung up with Troy and I, I, I picked up my call and I hit a couple of 
notes on the call. And uh, and that bird just kind of banked hard, and it, and it kind of made a circle around us and, and, and cupped right up on in and came into us. I pulled up on my side. It came in. I pulled up. I shot. And, uh, and I absolutely folded her. I destroyed the bird. It broke both the wings, the back, everything. It was a good shot on that one. Um, and <clears throat> Jackson said, well, Daddy said, what is it? I said, honestly, I'm not sure. It happened so quick, I wasn't exactly sure what it was. Um, I thought it might have been another another diver duck, like a scalp or something like that. But I wasn't sure. So uh, he hopped out the boat. Jackson hopped out. And uh, and he got himself a pair of waders this year for the first time. Uh you know, so he, he utilizes those things as much as he can to jump in the water and go out there and pill around sometimes. But he went out there and he got it, and, and it ended up being a, a hen redhead. So that's actually, believe it or not, my first redhead I've ever shot, guys. Um, I've never really had an area where we had a lot of redhead populations, and uh, and that is the first redhead that I shot. Uh, I wish it would have been a, a Drake. I would have probably mounted one because that's something I need to add to my collection of mounts. But uh, but it ended up being a hen, and I absolutely destroyed her. So there was no chance of uh, having her uh, brought in to, to be mounted. So, but we'll get our chance. We'll kill a, a nice, pretty Drake redhead and, and put it up on the wall in time. I'm sure. So, but we stayed we stayed longer than I'd say most hunters around us yesterday. There was a little bit of shooting. You know, going back to the to the just the inexperienced hunter you know that same group of guys i talked about that set up not too far from us at one point they they were just bored to death they hadn't shot anything they were tired of blowing their duck calls i guess uh and they went ahead and they started shooting at finches and these little sparrow birds and tweet tweet birds and all that type of crap and, and damn near had to have shot a box of shells messing around with that stuff so um but yeah we we outweighed all them we outlasted them we stayed uh, hoping that we might get some big ducks. We saw probably three or four flocks of, of larger, you know, flight ducks that were up top yesterday. But besides that, guys, it was dead skies. Um, you know, and I talked to my buddy uh, Charlie. He hunted the marsh yesterday. It was the same story with them uh, over in the Biloxi Marsh, just dead skies. Um, talked to Troy over at Richard K. Yancey, dead skies. And our buddy David over in Marksville, same thing. Saturday was a good day for him over in Marksville. Yesterday, not so much. So, you know, in your area, you may have done really well to close out the first split yesterday, but we, you know, where we were and the people that we know and from all across the state where they hunt at, it seemed like it was a, it was a much slower day yesterday than it was on Saturday. So we kind of closed out the end of the first split on a, on, a, on a down note, but like I told Jackson, I said, hey, I said it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a total bust. We put two birds on the strap yesterday, and we didn't we didn't scratch. Uh, you know, the two previous hunts me and Jackson were able to make from last week, we ended up scratching both days. So we were we were really down and out, uh, which is one of the reasons I wanted to go to the prairie yesterday uh, because I knew I said we're not going to scratch there. We always kill some birds, uh, and we'll, we'll put something together. Uh, which we did. We put a little something together, but, you know, nothing to brag home or write home about. Uh, so, but, you know, it wasn't a scratch, and that's a good thing. So, um, overall, the first split, guys, in my opinion, I think it was a, a, a positive first split. There's a lot of birds that came down. Um, did those birds stay in certain areas? No, not necessarily. Um, they, they, a lot of times they don't stay. They're moving around. Um, that's the thing that makes waterfowl hunting so challenging. You, they hear one day and they're gone the next minute. You know, it can be that quick. 
But overall, the first split for us as a group, um, and when I say a group, I'm talking me and Jackson, and I count Troy because me, Troy, and, and Jackson, when we hunt together, uh, a lot of times we are the three that hunt together. So I call that our little group. Um, the, the hunts that we made in the first split, we were able to put, I think, the count we at right now, we're sitting at 42 or 44 birds um, that we were able to put together this first split, which is above where we were last year. We were sitting at 28, I believe, last year for the first split. Um, so are the numbers for us better? Yes, they are. Did we see more birds this, this split than we did last year? Yes, we did. Uh, now, we covered a little bit more ground probably this year than we did last year. Uh, I say that, but not, not really. We pretty much hunted uh, kind of the same pattern and same areas that we hunted last year. Um, like I mentioned, we can't hunt much at our camp in Sherburn during the first split, so we only ended up making two hunts there. Uh, you know, but the areas that we did hunt were areas that we hunted last year, and we were able to kill more birds this split than we were last year. Um, but last year we did hunt, we did hunt Richard K. Yancey opening weekend. We had a really good opener there, uh, with a large number of birds. So really, honestly, last year, the majority of our first split birds, uh, were killed opening weekend at Richard K. Yancey. Um, so looking at it as a whole, yes, we did do much better this first split, uh, than we did last year. Um, what do I see as a difference this year? First split, um, a lot more teal this this year a lot more teal uh, showed up in the state earlier this year than they were last year um you know last year and the year before me me and troy and some other guys uh you know at the boat launches and stuff that we talked to we had conversations about how the teal were you know seemed like they were starting to become non-existent the green wings in particular weren't showing up nearly like they were years before you know in the previous years uh, well, that, that changed this year because the green wing teal definitely showed up first split here in Louisiana. Um, so a lot of green wing teal. Uh, that's a big difference that I saw first split. Um, gray ducks, gadwall. Um, it seems like when the coastal zone opened up, it was hot and heavy. The west zone, the coastal and the west zone were hot and heavy with gray ducks. Um, they didn't stick around very long from, the, from what it looks like and what the reports are. Um, it seems like the gray ducks were on the move quite a bit. Um, and you know, they didn't stay in the marshes quite as long as they do some other years. So they've been on the move, not to say that there wasn't populations of gray ducks being killed up until yesterday because there were, but just the, the, the vast numbers of gray ducks, I think kind of diminished, uh, throughout the first split here in the state. Um, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion on where I hunted, just a small sample of where I hunted at the, uh, the gadwall and the, uh, mallards did not show up, especially the mallards so far um now like i said that doesn't mean it's the same in your area where you hunted at that is just my take on where we hunted from the small sample of the areas that we covered um mallards i did not see hardly a mallard i, I didn't have a mallard decoy first split i'll say that uh that where we had an opportunity to shoot that i could remember um uh, just not large numbers of mallards yet i know sherburn is usually an area we, we get mallards a lot of gray ducks and mallards uh, or a lot of gray ducks, not necessarily a lot of mallards. Used to be a lot of mallards, but uh, but we do get mallards. Uh, on the two hunts I made there, I did not see a mallard. Uh, you know, in Sherburn, so I don't think that those those uh, you know the mallards, those numbers have actually showed up yet. Uh, I'm hoping that that's going to increase, and I do believe it will increase 
as we head into the second split. Uh, do I think there's more birds during the first split than, I, than there were last year? Yes, I do. I kind of answered that already. I do think we had more, uh, more birds in the state than we had last year. Now, I heard, uh, you know, a report uh, on the radio this past week that, uh, you know, Larry Reynolds with Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries uh, was quoted as saying that there were some of the lowest bird numbers that he's had on, on record. Uh, I don't know if that's a fact that he said that or not, but I do not agree with that if it is just based on what I saw out in the field as a hunter, and I've been to several areas throughout the state. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that a report was actually released this year like they do normally like from the aerial surveys. I could be wrong on that. Maybe you guys saw it and I didn't, but I have not seen an aerial survey. But I would have to say from hunting, uh, first split, that there were more birds in the state than, we, than we've than we been seeing over the last couple of years for sure. Um, what's something that's, a, something that's an issue that kind of, or I'm asking myself a question, I'm sorry, but something that... Uh, that I saw as an issue across the state that is affecting our public land hunting, in my opinion, guys, is invasive species with vegetation. We, we know that it's an issue. We know that it's been getting worse and worse every year. But I would have to say this year I've seen it in areas where I haven't seen it in the past. Uh, I can tell you right now the Sherburn area where we uh, hunt often and our camps are located at, the two hunts that I made at Sherman off of Section 120, the road that's well known over the years for waterfowl hunting, a lot of you probably frequent that area. If you have hunted it, you will have to agree that this year that is the worst vegetation that I've seen with both water hyacinth and salvania that I've ever seen since I've been there. Um, it's to the point where yesterday um, a friend of ours who we share, um, you know, information with on a forum on facebook uh, the Sherburn wildlife uh forum on facebook uh one of the guys who heads that forum up got on there last night and uh you know kind of brought up that topic with the rest of the guys asking what we thought about it and we have all decided that we are going we are emailing our uh local representative with louisiana wildlife and fisheries to see if something could be done to address that problem and as a camp holder, uh, owner, and a, a, you know, a property holder in that reserve or that borders up to that reserve, um, that's something for future purposes that's very important to me, having sons that are coming up in the sport and we all waterfowl hunt together. Um, guys, I can tell you across the state where I've been, it's, it's a problem everywhere. Um, you know, even Spring Bayou over the years, that was an issue many years ago. They spent a lot of money. A lot of the local people got involved, and they addressed it, and it, it, it made a huge difference in the waterfowl hunting up there and deer hunting and just hunting in general. Um, but it is coming back. It's an issue that's coming back. Um, now, they are proactive, it seems like. Um, wildlife and fisheries and the locals up there tend to do a really good job of, of jumping ahead of it nowadays, and they, they spray as needed. But we could use that in a lot of areas throughout the state, guys, because with the influx in hunters um, and the pressure that we got with, you know, the number of hunters trying to hunt these areas and these reserves where the, it just keeps shrinking and shrinking and shrinking year after year because of the invasive species and vegetation, um, it's becoming, you know, a real issue. And, it, and it's been a real issue for many years. 
So we have got to be more vocal. We've got to get involved. Um, and I, I literally, you know, after getting off of the forum last night, um, you know, my, my buddy Blake Kendrick, who heads up the forum on Facebook for Sherburn, um, he gave us some contact information for Wildlife and Fishers. And when we finished talking last night, <coughs> I, uh, I sent my first email uh, over to the gentleman at Wildlife and Fishers that's in charge of our area. And hopefully we'll get a response back. But our plan is to continue touching base on a weekly basis, uh, even if we have to just keep sending emails and, uh, and, and hopes of something being addressed and getting done as far as spraying and stuff like that goes. Um, but that is an issue that I see and that I think is important that us as waterfowl hunters uh, are vocal about. Um, that's something that I observed during the first split. Um, and really, I, you know, I know Mother Nature, I've even said this on previous episodes, it changes year to year. You have to scout out your areas because they do change. Um, but I was blown away by the amount of vegetation this year that I've seen um, and we're going to really have to have some cold weather to kill a lot of that stuff to be able to open it up for the second split of the season, guys. It's going uh, to have to have some cold weather come in and uh, to help us out. So Mother Nature's going to have to do her part, uh, hopefully, to uh, help us out as hunters. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm real interested to hear more opinions on what you guys are seeing out there. Um, you know, first split, um, was it good for you? Was it not good for you? Did uh, Are you disappointed in the way things went? Um, you know, I, I love to hear all your takes on it. I like to get opinions. I've talked to so many people just this split alone. New friends I've made at the boat launches, uh, you know, to check out and uh, follow up with year to year and have new hunting buddies. And that's, that's one of the things that I absolutely love and drives me to public land hunt it really is and we've talked about that on on other episodes but uh made some really good friends so far this split i'm i'm excited i'm i'm already fired up you know today um uh, i was thinking about going scout out an area today uh being that the split we're in the split now and the season's closed but uh but what i did today is just you know what a lot of you may be doing you know i had an off day today for work because uh, we're off on mondays right now so i went I basically did some decoy maintenance today. I restrung some decoys. I, I touched up some decoys. Uh, threw away some stuff that I wasn't using that was cluttering up my, my boat and my bags and stuff like that. Uh, basically just did kind of what a preseason prep would be. Uh, and I decided to jump on it early today because I don't, I, I don't want to wait till the last minute. And uh, in a week and a half to two weeks from now when we're ready to crank up in a second split, I don't want to be fumbling and getting all that stuff done. Um, shells, that that's a good topic point, uh, talking point of shells, guys. If you haven't loaded up on shells yet for the second split, I highly advise you do it right now. Uh, man, have y'all been to the, to the retail stores lately to try to find shells? It's damn near impossible to find certain sizes and shots that you want uh, right now. It's it, Along with this, this ammunition craze we got going on because of the election this year, and all that crazy stuff going on with these, you know, liberals and so on and so forth, the politics playing into it. It is very difficult to find ammunition, whether you're a deer hunter for, for you know, um, you know, uh, rifle cartridges or um, shotgun shells for waterfowl hunters. Like I said, I have a Cabela's and a Bass Pro located, you know, five minutes or 10 minutes and 30 minutes from me. 
and I, I go to those stores quite often. I have two, three academies around me, and pretty much all the stores have been wiped out in the last week or two with ammunition. So if you are looking for shotgun shells to head into the second split with, guys, try to get it while you can because I have a feeling it's going to get worse, and uh, you may not be able to get a particular shot size if you're looking to do so. Um, if you can buy it in bulk right now, that's what I started doing over the last year. Uh, but I still pick up certain certain shots, you know, that I look for sometimes too. And with Jackson coming up, I moved him from a 410 shotgun <clears throat> this year or last year to a 20 gauge uh, this year. And one of the main reasons is because I can't find 410 shot shells for him in steel shot. So try, try finding 410 steel shot and see how tell me how easy it is to find that right now. So we decided to move him up, which he hit a growth spurt. Uh, and we were able to, you know, thank God, get him into a, a, a 20 gauge this year. Uh, and, and honestly, he's he's liking it. I could find 20 gauge uh, shot shells a little bit, you know, more frequent than I definitely could on 410. But, hell, even 20 gauge shot shells last night I was looking. And those are wiped out as well right now. So uh, I even stopped by Walmart last night to pick up something. And I went to see what shells they had. The, the Winchester Expert that you usually see them have end caps of was just wiped out here at uh, my Gonzalez Walmart. So it's tough to find it, my guy. So if you do come across it, you know, stash it up on it uh, and buy what you need to maybe even last you into next year because who knows how long this craze is going to go on for. Um, you know, hopefully, you know, this year things kind of get back to normal. But, uh, but who knows? Who knows? So, but... Looking forward to the second split, definitely. Uh, don't know yet what the game plan is for opening weekend. I took vacation that weekend, uh, which I, I based most of my vacation at work around waterfowl season, <clears throat> like a lot of you probably do. So I haven't really decided yet uh, where I'm going to go for the opener uh, of the second split in the E-Zone. We, uh, we may end up hunting, going to the camp, because I, I tend to do a lot more hunting at the camp uh, second split since we have so many more days available to us and I like getting in the timber and hunting those gray ducks and mallards uh, so I'm looking forward to that second split I think we'll see more numbers of mallards uh, I hope the teal stick around I'll be honest with y'all because uh, that the teal the green wing teal here and those of you who hunt on a regular basis you could agree to this uh, that is your limit filler whenever we have lots of green wing teal down uh, especially on public land that's our that's our limit filler I call it uh, that's the birds that help you get to that six man, that six person or six duck limit. Uh, so I'm hoping those green wing teal stick around. I would love to uh, to kill, you know, a couple of wedgeon. We seems like over the last uh, probably decade or so at our camp, we do we do get some wedgeon that come in. So I have a, a beautiful Drake wedgeon that's on the uh, the wall of the camp that I mounted from several years ago that I killed with my uh, my buddy Dustin Jumanville, one of the original. Last stop waterfowl crew members, and uh, and I know my buddies Casey and Blake. Um, some they're also some of the OGs from the last stop waterfowl crew. Uh, I know they did a little bit of hunting on foot when it, uh, the split opened up, and they were able to kill a couple of birds over at, over at uh, at Sherbin as well. So I'm glad those guys were able to do some hunting. Blake just had a brand new baby, uh, so he he's very blessed to do some hunting right now. But uh. But yeah, overall, guys, really happy with the first split. Uh, I hope you guys are too. I think we got have some positivity uh, based off of you know comparing it to the last couple of years, and I think we have something uh, you know to look forward to as we get ready to head into second split, which is just two weeks away. So 
We're going to make a push. We're going to go through January with it here. I promise you our crew is going to be out there giving you some reports. Um, if you haven't checked out lately our social media platforms and you stumbled across this podcast, uh, go check us out on social media on uh, Facebook, Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, uh, Instagram at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, <coughs> also YouTube. We uploaded some YouTube videos from uh, yesterday's hunt. On uh, We have a couple that are on YouTube that you will not find on our social media pages, but we also uploaded some vlog videos on our social media, on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and also TikTok yesterday. Uh, so go check those out, guys. I know a lot of you follow have been following that, and you've been telling your buddies about it. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, we we do this, as you know, 100% as a hobby. Uh, we do it because we love it. We absolutely live waterfowl hunting and, and just being outdoors, fishing, hunting, all that type of stuff. Uh, so we love bringing it and sharing our experiences with you. And it's also great for our group and my kids. Uh, and myself as, as, a, as an individual that loves to hunt and fish. Um, it creates a wonderful, um, you know, memory for us to go back on and look at, you know, the, the year after or two or three or years down the road uh, by doing all this and putting it on social media and, you know, having this radio show, we're, we're, this podcast, we are blessed to be able to communicate with you guys. I love doing this. Uh, this is one of the best things I've ever done as far as meeting other uh, just great human beings in general and, and outdoorsmen and hunters um i could not do it um, without our sponsors um, that we have on the show um, anchor.fm you hear me talk about them anchor.fm is the staple in our podcast um, they are what gets our podcast out to you guys to be able to listen to on a on a normal basis on a regular basis um, they distribute it if you know if you've ever thought about making a podcast uh, you have got to check out Anchor.fm. Um, they will monetize your podcast for you. They will distribute it to you. That's how you guys get it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, um, all the major podcast uh, you know, streaming platforms. That's how our podcast, Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, gets to you guys because of Anchor.fm. So we have to thank them. Also, Beaver Creek Game Calls, guys. I've been blowing a Beaver Creek Game Calls uh, custom duck call all season long. And I'm telling you, it is legit. It is the real deal. Um, I have it along with some other calls, but I love my Beaver Creek game calls that Patrick Irkfitz made for me. Go check them out online, beavercreekgamecalls.com. Let Patrick Irkfitz design a duck call that's that's right for you. He can do colors you want. If you want a college color or alma mater uh, color, you want your LSU Tiger colors, purple and gold, Patrick can do it for you. Um, a lot of different options when it comes to duck calls he has to offer. But he also does goose, deer, turkey, and other stuff, guys. Go check him out at beavercreekgamecalls.com. Tell him that Jacob at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors sent you. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And you will get a quality custom-built duck call at a very, very affordable price that the average person could afford. So check him out. Uh, all those great sponsors, but guys, I just want to thank every one of you for tuning in to this episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. We look forward to sitting down with you again as we get ready to head into the second split. We're going to be giving you some more insights, some of our takes on what's going out there in the field and giving you reports of what we're seeing out there in the field. So until next time we meet again, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Wishing everybody a safe and good time in the outdoors, guys. Y'all take care.